0: No matter who is president, Jesus is king. And the book of Revelation shows us that now and forever, Jesus is king. From his death, resurrection, and ascension in our past, right through to his return at the end of this age and into eternity, Jesus is king. Now, have you noticed, spiritual people can have a perspective on life that someone or something bigger than them is in control. And they take comfort in the thought that there's a supreme being or higher power so that when hardship comes or tragedy strikes or I'm just having a bad day, things will be okay, or at least I hope. Is this kind of belief in a higher being wishful thinking? Is God merely a psychological crutch to get us through hard times? So when the world is worrying, when the future seems uncertain, as the darkness closes in, God's got it, I hope. Or as Colin Buchanan has taught us to sing, when your dad is crusty, when your mum's in a flap, when you spill your custard in your sister's lap, remember the Lord. God's got it. I hope. President Obama posted on social media this week, no matter what happens, the sun will rise in the morning. Will it? Revelation shows us the reality now of the ultimate king working out his good plans. The visions of Revelation show us the slain lamb on the throne of heaven now. Through every twist and turn of history in the past, through every twist and turn of history that is yet to come in the future, Jesus is king For the Christians in first century Roman Asia, to whom the book of Revelation was originally addressed, they needed this vision of Jesus. They were threatened. They were ridiculed. They were marginalized. They were oppressed. They were killed because of their faith in Jesus. The Roman emperor appeared to them to be the one who would chart the course of history. For the Christians, their future seemed uncertain. Darkness was closing in. And so for them, a vague possibility or a sentimental platitude of a supreme being is no comfort. Christians in this context would not and could not invent or dream up such a flimsy spirituality or give it any kind of following. What revelation gave them and what revelation gives to us today is nothing less than a revelation of the true Jesus as he truly is. The Lord of the ages, the author of history. The King of Eternity, the slain Lamb, risen and victorious, the one who gives us a sure and certain hope for today, for tomorrow and forever. Now there is a lot in Revelation 19 and 20 and we're going to take the short track through it this morning. There's a number of complexities here. I'm going to encourage you more than ever to spend some time reading over it again, to be prayerfully reflecting on it, discussing it with others, to be, to be reading about it. Uh, look for reliable books rather than stuff on the internet when it comes to Revelation 19 and 20. Uh, most of the complexities are not complexities in the passage but obscurities in our head. And if we keep in mind the key for reading Revelation that I've been sharing with you right through this series... We'll find our way through it. The key for reading Revelation, do you want to have a guess at it? Not a guess, you know what it is. The key for reading Revelation, Jesus revealed. On every page, in every chapter, in every verse, in every sentence, be asking, what does this reveal to me about Jesus? Revelation 1.1 sets us up for the whole of the book. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave so that we might know who Jesus as he truly is. Revelation is not an obscure book and a complex book about some weird timelines into the future, a warm pastoral letter given to equip and enable Christians now for trusting Jesus and persevering with him in the hard times now. It's to help us to understand who Jesus is. And so with that key in mind, you'll be able to read Revelation 19 and 20 on your own, and find a way through it. Together this morning we're going to take the short track through these visions and the short track shows us the eternal victory of Jesus. Revelation 19 is a vision of praise. The praise is for the reversal of the prosperity and security uh, that we came across in Revelation 18. We looked at it last Sunday. Prosperity and security that seemingly comes with being in bed with Babylon by being a world that is opposed to God is completely reversed and true and lasting prosperity and security is with Jesus. Revelation uh, uh, chapter 19 reflects on that and praises God for that. You see the refrain there of hallelujah in verse 1? Hallelujah, verse 3, hallelujah. Verse 4, hallelujah. Change to a different key, verse five, Praise our Lord. Verse six, Hallelujah. And the one who prevails into eternity is Jesus and those who belong to him. Verse seven. Chapter 19, verse seven. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding lamb or the wedding of the lamb, Jesus has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 9 Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. A single mate of mine was asked by his young nephew when he was going to get married. Uh, His niece uh, jumped in and protested, You can't get married, you can't wear a wedding dress. Well, he can and he will, symbolically speaking. All who belong to Jesus get to be bride at the eternal wedding feast. We see in chapter 19, the eternal victory of Jesus in verses 11 to 21 is then captured by a different feast, a feast that is gruesome. Notice how here Jesus is presented... Verse 11, he's on a white horse, a Roman symbol of a victorious warrior. He's described, verse 11, as being faithful and true, someone who will never let his people down. Verse 11, he judges and makes war injustice. No one will question his decisions. There's no grounds for appeal. Verse 12, his eyes are like blazing fire, a symbol of purity. Verse 12, he's wearing many crowns. While others have gone before Jesus in the visions of Revelation, the beast, the enemy, the devil, and had crowns on, Jesus has many crowns. Jesus has ultimate rule. Just think about your bedroom for a moment. The walls, the door, that mark out the boundary of your space. Unless you've got to share it with a younger brother, or the joy of sharing it with a spouse. Think about the fence that marks out the boundary around your property the space in the world that is yours. Think about the line on the map that marks out the boundary of the ACT or the coastline that marks out the boundary of Australia with Tasmania. Jesus' rule doesn't have a wall or a fence. There are no lines on a map to say what is his and what isn't who is and isn't his. Jesus has ultimate rule. Continuing on in verse 12, we see that he has a name that no one knows. It's above and beyond us. He is God. He is only known as he makes himself known to us. Verse 11, his robe is dipped in blood, a reference to the cross. Blood in the Old Testament sacrificial system being a sign, a costly sign of forgiveness. Jesus' blood on the cross secures the victory of ultimate forgiveness. Verse 13, his name is the word of God. He is the true revelation of God. Verse 14, he's accompanied by the armies of heaven who are described as being like Jesus. It could be angels, but I think it's resurrected Christians. Verse 15, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword so that he has victory over his enemies. He'll strike them down. He will rule over them with an iron scepter, a reference back to the Messianic Psalm in Psalm 2. He will trample the enemies with God's fury. He has the authority and the right to execute God's judgment on behalf of God. Verse 16, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And verse 17... He summons a gruesome victory feast. The final judgment at the end of the ages is depicted here by birds coming and eating those who are opposed to God, from the kings and the generals and the mighty ones right down to insignificant slaves. And at the same time, verse 17, the beast and the false prophet who have raged against God and have sought to deceive the world is captured and thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Revelation 19 is here to give us the final vision of God's, uh, of God's judgment at Jesus' return at the end of the age. As we've been going through Revelation, we've seen uh, God's final judgment from six other perspectives. But this is the seventh and final perspective on it. It's a gruesome and confronting vision. But the perspective that it gives us, the true perspective of this final judgment is to realize the eternal victory of Jesus. Now as we come into Revelation 20, we're going to zoom right back out again to take in the whole of this age from Jesus' ascension through to Jesus' return. Now lots of very careful thinking and godly people read Revelation 20 And the 1,000 years that are mentioned here as something that happens in chronological time in the future after the final judgment of Revelation 19. I think Revelation 20 actually gives us this zoom out as another perspective on the whole of time. So that the 1,000 years or the millennium is a symbolic number like many of the other numbers in Revelation, is a symbolic number for the time between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return. It's describing now. Now just as lots of careful thinking and godly people who read Revelation 20 as something all that's in the future, there are lots of careful thinking and godly people who read it the way that I'm going to explain it to you now. Why I keep leaning towards that direction is because of the purpose of revelation. It's not written down for us as this complex, detailed map for the future, but this warm pastoral letter to equip and enable God's people to persevere with Jesus in the hard times now. And so it tells us, verses 1 to 3, chapter 20, tells us of the reality of Satan being leashed. A description of Satan being leashed now. We need not fear. Verses 4 to 6, it tells us of the reality of Christians, Christians who have died, being in a resurrection with Jesus now. Verses 7 to 11, though, look to the future, to the final judgment when Satan is unleashed and he gathers his massive army, an army that can't be counted, verse 8. This massive, massive army that is built up for one last rage and bout against God. In verse 9, fire came down from heaven and devoured them. A non-event. Verses 11 to 14 depicts a victory in a courtroom. When Jesus forms court and he opens the books, his books of judgment, victory is only for those who belong to Jesus. Chapter 20, verse 15. Verse 15, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The visions of Revelation 19 and 20, the short track version, show us the eternal victory of Jesus and those who belong to him. It is comforting... And it is confronting. It is comforting and it is confronting. And so our first response has got to be tears. Jesus' victory fills us with tears of grief for those who don't belong to him. Our first response has got to be tears. Our second response is about time. There is time for us to winsomely share the gospel with those who haven't yet turned to Jesus in repentance and faith. Before the darkness closes in of eternity in hell, there is time to be saved. The third response is Trump. Donald Trump is not the victorious king, nor is he the beast of Satan. Some Republican fanatics have adopted a well-known hymn as a victory song. The Trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. One day, the Trump pet of Jesus' return will resound The whole world will see the reality of Jesus' reign. A reign that is just as real now. No matter who is president, Jesus is king. And because Jesus is the eternal king now, the fourth response is trust. Trust is a sure and certain confidence in the reign of Jesus. More than wishful thinking in a supreme being. More steady and secure than a psychological crutch to get us through hard times. It is a hope-filled life of sticking with Jesus now and into eternity. So that we can sing with steady confidence and deep comfort it is well it is well with my soul though Satan should buffet though trials should come let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and have shed his own blood for my soul whatever my lot. Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. We need to hear that, each of us. We need to be sharing and reminding one another of that. The world round about us needs to hear that. We as a church need to hear that together. I need to keep preaching it to myself.